0: Welcome to ModPath Chat, the official podcast of Modern Pathology, featuring interviews with authors and experts on the latest science, technology, and developments in the field of pathology. Your host, Dr. George Netto, is the editor-in-chief of Modern Pathology and the chair of pathology at the University of Alabama at Birmingham. Here's Dr. Netto.
1: Welcome to a new episode of ModPass Chat. Our guests today are two distinguished leaders in the space of digital and computational pathology. It's my great pleasure to be joined by Vipal Baxi, Senior Scientific Director of Digital Pathology at Bristol myers Squibs, and Michael Montalto, Chief Scientific Officer at Path AI. I look forward to hearing their thoughts on the promise of digital path and AI and I'm sure the many challenges and opportunities that lay ahead. I refer you to their comprehensive open-access recent review on the topic that was published in Modern Pathology. All authors' conflict of interest are listed in that manuscript. Thank you both for joining me today. Thank you,
2: Dr. Neto. It's a pleasure to be here, and thanks for uh, thanks for having us.
3: Thank you, Doctor Nado. Yep, absolutely, a pleasure. I,
1: I really appreciate your taking the time, and uh, uh, this is uh, a, a great uh, review uh, for those who are interested in learning more and more about uh, the technology and and how it works. And uh, you lay. Um, you start your review by by uh, uh, explaining how really we're undergoing a revolutionary transition in our fields from a qualitative uh, semi-quantitative at best uh, our human eye uh, the stuff that I and many uh, many in our field grew up with uh, to uh, this what's been dubbed the third revolution in pathology we're moving really more precise more qualitative quantitative uh, with the help of uh, whole slide imaging and and uh, tools uh, computational path tools like ai so uh, uh, with that in mind maybe it's a good idea uh to to start with uh, what you beautifully depict in one of your figures uh, which is the workflow of uh, of a digital pathology when you're looking at a prognostic uh, marker or biomarker So uh, you guys can decide who want to talk about what and uh, let's make it.
2: (laughs) Maybe I'll let you start with that one. I think that was the figure you put together. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely.
3: So again, uh, I think we've, uh, we've definitely put in a lot of effort to put together this workflow that really allows us to quickly develop Test, train uh, algorithms, and and scale these algorithms. Um, so you know the way I've uh, sort of bucketed it into these three, three categories uh, for any digital pathology algorithm development effort. Um, it all starts with having the right samples, having the right blocks. Um, focusing on the particular stain of interest, it could be a standard H or a immunohistochemistry stain or a multiplex uh, 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 chromogenic I, or IF stain, but essentially it starts with uh, having the right samples, having the uh, right representation of the phenotype that you're looking for in these samples um, to, to help train this. So if uh, you're developing a simple tumor stroma algorithm or a cancer tumor cell detection algorithm, uh, it starts with having uh, uh, having the right sample sets to to train these models, um, and so that's that's the sample preparation piece, uh, and having your gold ground truth or your gold standard, which in our case, a lot of the algorithms that we develop are our path, uh, pathologists are our ground truth, um, and so identifying what that ground truth is and generating that ground truth, so that when you develop your algorithms, it uh, you can always compare it back to a a ground truth here, um, and then comes the the digital pathology piece, um, which is, which is comprised of two things. It's the imaging piece and then the image analysis piece. So imaging, um, depending on the, the type of detection you're looking at, either a bright field, uh, um, whole slide scanner or a immunofluorescence, uh, multispectral scanner. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so, ha- and there are multiple, uh, multiple, Types of these scanners in the field um, that you, that you can use, um, uh, and then the uh, the second piece is the image analysis piece. So developing these algorithms, classify so we can use standard uh, image analysis techniques that we define the type of uh, morphology of cells that we're trying to identify, or using. Some of the more advanced machine learning AI uh, approaches to train these based off of a lot of labeled data that we can get from pathologists um, to to train these models and then the last piece is uh, how do we then deploy this in a in a scalable format so so once these algorithms are developed, validated, uh, the, these can be packaged and deployed across large cohorts within almost a matter of uh, minutes, if, um, if, if not faster, and, and you can generate, um, you know, high quality data minutes. pretty quickly. Uh, yeah, well, for oh. a single slide. <laughs> yeah, you can oh, okay. run this uh, within, within a minute. Um, so imagine, you know, a thousand, thousand samples. It can take uh, pathologists, you know, numbers of days <laughs> to generate it. Uh a month. Yeah. <laughs> An algorithm can do it pretty quickly. Um, so, that, so that's it's the deployment of the the algorithm across a large cohort, and then all the downstream data analysis, the bioinformatics piece um, of of looking at efficacy to outcome, looking at correlation with other uh, molecular data or genomic data, uh, and so you can you we can really expand the, the research with the quantitative data that you get here. So that's really the three buckets of uh, the workflow that we've that we have developed.
1: Beautiful. So, so simply, we have sample prep, and I like what you say, the ground truth. And for, at least for the time being, the pathologist's opinion remains the ground truth. Uh, hopefully, uh, not before I retire. That, that will always uh, be the case till I retire. And then the second part is that the imaging system, including the scanning and image analysis. And then the third bucket is the bioinformatics, uh, the stuff that for most of us is is uh, is beyond our uh, our uh, uh, not intelligence but base of knowledge and training that we've had. So wonderful, and that's uh, that's 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 a great start. So uh, clearly. While there is multitude of applications, you mentioned even, uh, you know, uh, H&E, standard H&E, standard h and e and i am always amazed by, now you call them computational biomarkers that just you extract from h that the human eye has was not able uh, to detect. Uh, but we'll leave that for another day. And maybe today we focus on... Uh, clearly, where we all hope it will help us a lot is IRC, be it uh, you know, like you said, chromogenic, monoplex, multiplex, or spatial. Can you can you say a few words about that, uh, both of you? What are the challenges and uh, and opportunities, and how realistic? Or my worry when when we talk about digital uh, and computational is is. Uh, People feel we're talking about it, but really, are we using it yet? And and uh, hopefully that that will come fast enough to validate this this excitement. Because a lot of time you you're familiar with that in the field, a lot of excitement around uh, something new that. Uh, fizzles down the road we're pretty sure that this is not going to fizzle this is a true revolution but can you tell us what should we expect timelines uh, challenges uh, where where do we head with both of you being such leaders uh, in the industry and interacting a lot with uh, academics uh, p- uh, yeah. places and and investigators like uh, uh, like uh, other pathologists do yeah
2: i mean i, I so I, I think the question is when um when can we expect this to to reach clinical practice, maybe and impact you know patient decisions, which is really what pathology is all about in the end of the day? So, I mean, there's there's almost uh, unfortunately there's not a simple answer to that. I mean, some I think some would say it's there today. So there are a lot, there are institutions like the great work that's happening at uh, at Ohio State and UPMC and other places across the the, the country where. The investments have been made in digital pathology is being established, and uh, people are starting to use it in their everyday practice for various different reasons, whether it's improving workflows, uh, primarily probably in working for workflows and efficiencies. Um, and that now we're seeing AI based algorithms like the Page AI prostate uh, tool that was recently, uh, cleared by the FDA to potentially be used in um, in screening for uh, prostate cancer, so those are available today. They're not necessarily, I think your question is a good one in that when will when will it be widespread use and when will yeah. everybody be using it? And I think that's that's still uh, an open question. I, I still think that the industry is struggling a little bit with how how will this technology best serve patients in the end of the in the end of the day. You talked a little bit about IHC as an example where we know there's a lot of inter-reader variability for things like tumor or uh, immune cell scoring for pdl one I think David Rim just had a great paper recently in JAMA Oncology about HER2 low and the challenges mm-hmm. at HER2 low, and we're seeing drugs approved for that indication. So will patients be accurately classified with um, you know IHC tests that are coming out more recently like pdl one or like HER2 low? Um, and I think we've got data that suggests that not, not really, that that inter-reader variability is going to present a challenge in terms of uh, meeting uh, patients' demands, you know, meet, meeting uh, the, the right sort of therapeutic approaches for these patients. So one could imagine that um, the, the, a test could be available for an AI-based test to classify patients for IHC for these new therapeutics that are coming around. Um, and that would be better to better serve those patients. How is that going to happen? I think this is a good question, and I and Vipolis, we can talk a little bit about this. And Dr. Neto, you can weigh in on this as well. Will in the way IHC is very routinely used across many different labs, will we expect AI to be used in the same way, or would we expect it to be used more in the way that NGS is being used, which is in major testing centers with a send out mm-hmm. model? Where you're still where where clinical decisions are still being made, but not every lab in the country or globally is able to run an NGS test because the technology is expensive. It requires very sophisticated exactly. knowledge. So I think we're and we're, uh, significant
1: we're, 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 investment. I mean, we're significant investment. That's right. That. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Even in a it. big academic center yeah. like UAB, it's uh, it's yeah. not something we just decide overnight. That's to, right. Uh, I think we're at a crossroads
2: as an industry. I think that we have to. Uh, the best way that I can uh, get people to think about this is to think of the two major value propositions and in um, two major buckets, so to speak. So one is efficiency and workflow that can be gained in any lab or institution. Mm -hmm. And you have to determine how much value you're getting from that versus the investments you need to make. The other bucket would be, I think, precision medicine testing, which happens at a a much lower rate compared to the totality of pathology, but it's very high value patient decisions are made based on that precision medicine based testing. And in the latter bucket, you don't have it widespread use. You have it at very specialized institutions. I, I think You know, when we talk about will will it be available today? I'm I'm of the mindset, and I think a lot of the review that that and I and and others authored here was around the precision medicine testing component. That that is that is while the technology is here and we can show the proof point, it needs to start to get out into some testing centers, and even think pharma companies need to invest in in the distribution in various testing centers to begin to set up more of a testing center like model in, in the way that Foundation Medicine pioneered in the early you know it's funny to say the early days of ngs because it really <laughs> that was about 10 years ago but there were there were early days in ngs where foundation had to create that model um and then other institutions be began to offer it so i, I think we're on the kind of cusp on that i don't know vipal what you would think before but
1: it, yeah. before Vipple, i yep. mean uh weigh in so so you raise an interesting point and uh, and basically would this be in a reference setting and right. uh, and and it's not a fear, but but it's a strong possibility that if they become the companion testing, which for a lot of time right now it's uh, it's a PDL uh, that we can try to do uh, in in different academic centers without mm-hmm. major investment, uh, but NGSs and, and like you said, uh, mm-hmm. whole uh, exome or what have you, like TMEs, mm-hmm. uh, those, if, if those became the companion testing and the companion testing lock us in AI for even a, a monochromic, right? Or a mm-hmm. monoplex, you can see where that become a problem. I haven't thought about that, but- Yeah, but exactly. hopefully it's not an all or none where we have to send out- Oh no, my v- gosh, I love that you
2: said that. So we, I just gave a talk this morning with Anil Parwani, actually uh, at the Precision Medicine Leader Summit. And we talked about this point very specifically. Um, and, and one can imagine a hybrid approach, a hybrid distribution model or a commercialization model, uh, where the, the assay testing is done as it's done today. Let's say a new test comes out. Let's say Vipple and I are widely successful and we develop a CD, a new CD8 based test for selecting patients. Uh, one can imagine that the, that the chemistry version of that is done as it is today in any, in any lab. Um, and that once the, and so you can get. Technical component fees for doing the lab testing, but then the slides are sent out to to a place like PathAI or other labs, where they scan it and provide back to you at your institution the test result, which you open up, you review visually, you 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 kind of confirm the algorithm result, and then you also bill for the professional component because you've done that part. The only part that you haven't done is get the slide scanned and have the press the button to get the uh, result back. Um, now, if you have your own slide scanner, maybe you scan it and press the button. But if you don't, you send the slide just like you would send something to foundation. So I, I think we can live in both worlds. The, the beauty of uh, cloud-based computing is that uh, if you have a scanner, perhaps you can upload it to the cloud. If you don't, you can send the slide uh, and still still gain the benefit of reviewing the test results yourself remotely. So that that's it's And I possible. think
1: it's... It's encouraging, at least at this point, understanding that different scanner platforms, there Mm -hmm. is somewhat of a universality of the file uh, that you can do that. So it's not taken for people with uh, places with less ability to make serious investment. At least they they do that part. Uh, Very, very interesting. It's really a revolution. There'll be a lot of moving pieces. That's what you mean to... to, uh,
3: yeah. No, no, no. That, that's fine. One thing I'll, I'll I'll say in addition to what Mike said is, I think we're also at a point where a lot of what we're doing right now is also somewhat trying to mimic what a pathologist is doing, just to get the comfort level there of what digital pathology can do. But I think when we the point where we will really start making a a, a, a big difference is when we start doing things uh, one um, where we're able to identify features or things that just pathologists can't do visually. Um, And that will, I think, take us over that bar. And at that point, uh, pathologists obviously can be the ground truth for the ground truth for that. But uh, response data, other other data may become the ground truth rather than the pathologists. Once we cross that threshold and i think that is also what's going to really drive uh, digital pathology into into this type of uh, you know uh, t- ngs like testing where we're just routine, routinely doing um yeah. Yeah. Very, very good i mean point. even
2: i think even in even if we think about the early days of molecular and pcr testing for targeted uh, targeted therapies um, and now ngs testing which is essentially recapitulating targeted therapies in a panel in a panel based setting it really was the pharmaceutical industry that drove the need, the clinical adoption, the clinical necessity to identify patients, even in, in early molecular days, now in NGS days. And I and I think will probably shares this. You know, we have a strong hypothesis that pharma will, too, drive the necessity uh, of, of AI-based digital pathology precision medicine testing, Pre-based which is a little bit stuff? separate. Yeah, a little bit separate than just standard digital pathology that we talk about Correct. broadly.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and no, I mean uh, clearly, what I you you hit exactly on the point. Uh, nobody is talking about the idea is not just to scan and use computer screen and TV rather than microscope. That's that's right. going to be common, and 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 that's going to be actually also operator dependent. Some people would never leave the scope, uh, but uh, and we're undergoing that transition here. Uh, but we're talking about the added value, the precision uh, medicine Better. part that that yeah. we see it really where the value is and i think vipul you you bring a, a, an important point and maybe can be a segue to to our next uh, question which is so so the ground truth so far is the pathologist as we spoke and uh, meaning uh, I will be annotating if if uh, I'm lucky and you say George, let's start uh, uh, an algorithm together on prostate cancer or bladder cancer. Uh, so I'll be looking at these slides and telling you my thoughts, and that's going to be the ground truth, and and we'll take it from there. But the next step is 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 what you're saying, where the money is. The ground truth is how did the patient do, and and taking the pathologist. Annotation out of the mix, uh, hopefully not completely. So, so is that? Can you talk about that machine learning yeah. versus deep learning and, uh, mm. and explain? Yeah, absolutely.
3: About? So, I I don't foresee um, uh, there being zero pathologist in- <laughs> involvement. I I not. think there's definitely different ways of looking at um, how we train the data and how we implement that data, right? So, from a training perspective, um, when we talk about machine learning and deep learning, just to take a step back, you know. Um, standard machine learning and we've been using machine learning for some time now where uh it's 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 a way uh you know essentially developing algorithms but knowing what you're looking for uh and knowing what you want to measure and developing these type of machine learning models that are targeted to that Uh, whereas when we when we shift over to deep learning based approaches essentially we don't we don't need to know or we don't need to know what uh, it needs to look like or um, you know what uh, what uh, so give, uh, give an example if we're trying to detect tumor cells uh, I don't need to know what a tumor cell looks like as long as I can get enough pathologists to train provide enough labels um, image labels of what a tumor cell looks like, a deep learning model will figure it out whereas a machine learning model, I would need to, you know, at least have some prior features of what a tumor cell looks like to be able to train the model. So that's essentially where that difference is. But even going into the the uh, sort of the ground truth aspect of things, you know, we'll still need pathologists to train sort of these interpretable mo- models at some, uh, to some extent, but then how that model integrates with all the features that get generated, how these features are combined into it, and then a subsequent model that can help us predict response. That may be a level that, uh, that we we may not have a ground truth for pathologists, but that's where response becomes the ground truth. Um, so, you know, looking at, you know, we, we may need pathologists to help us train a model to identify lymphocytes, but once we have done that and we know where all the lymphocytes are in the tumor microenvironment, then we can build a model on top of that to see, okay, this is the kind of pattern of lymphocytes that can help us predict a response. And that that is something that we don't need a pathologist's ground truth for.
1: And that, that's almost like a discovery, right? It's not, mm-hmm. it's not like targeted NGS. So you're knowing exactly what versus whole genome and that's uh, right. you don't know what you're looking for. And uh, very, very interesting. Uh, but, uh, it's kind of, you'd say we, we will still have, uh, we'll still have a role because, uh, at least you have to say it at this stage. <laughs> and there's one,
2: actually, let me, can I add to that as well, Dr. Neto? I think not, not so certainly we'll have a role in training as Vipul is sort of indicating, you know, doing the initial labeling at the level of like cells and tissue. And, and then we, and then we can look at outcomes. In in discussions we've had with regulatory uh, agencies uh, recently around this type of technology, it's still important that a pathologist be involved in the very end of the process as well. That is to say that the test result work. Let's let's take Vipple's example to an extreme where we have lymphocytes in certain uh, patterns that a machine identified. We didn't have a human identify it, and then we wanted to make that test available. And we go through the regulatory agencies. The the agencies still, and I, I think we all feel this way, want a human being to oversee the test want to have some sort of quality control that indeed that is a lymphocyte, indeed that is the right tissue type, uh, indeed the staining did look good enough. Um, Maybe I can't identify the exact thing that the computer is giving us a result on, but I have some oversight to identify these edge cases and these these problems that can be really anomalies um, down the road. So I think, I, I hope that the listeners who may be new to this space don't envision a future anytime soon where it's literally a computer with no human involvement at all. I think that that is not how, how even the highest um, you know complexity precision medicine testing is going to happen. We In fact, even today we still have humans looking at the quality controls and NGS testing and variant calling and we make sure that it's accurate. Um, we'll have to have the same same uh, part of that, I think, for for uh, I mean, AI pathology.
1: I guess an analogy that is uh, more consistent with the current news is the phantom break of uh, driveless uh, self-driving right. cars. Right? Yes. You, still, you still want uh, somebody around that drive, uh, behind the steering that's wheel, and at least you still want a steering wheel. Uh, that's that right.
2: Way. Yeah, I think it's very. I think that's a good analogy. I think that's probably accurate to how this will unfold.
1: Well, wonderful. So let, let's finish up uh, just uh, we don't uh, enjoy the conversation, but uh, due to the time, uh, what is, uh, where do you think uh, uh, we're heading in terms of like, uh, I know there's a lot of talk about spatial, about uh, TME, uh, especially in the PDL, any uh, any. Uh, uh, Pearls, you can, you can offer our audience uh, what to expect and, and how, how, uh, where we're heading in that regard, especially in, in immune therapy. Yeah, I mean, certainly, yeah. I mean, there's
2: been, a, there, I think, one of the big drivers in, in the recent explosion in this work is IO therapy, tumor microenvironment. Testing um, And there's many we've we've published um, even collaboratively with Bipple uh, and his team um, work that shows uh, subtleties in the tumor microenvironment pre and post treatment can predict, uh, you know, outcome and things like that. So I think we'll just out of h and um, and others in IHC and then the high complexity multiplex immunostaining, you know, I think is also showing us that there's a lot of value to be gained. Um, in predicting patient response and selecting the right kind of uh, therapy. So where we are, I think, right now is, is, um, and again, I think the point of this review to some extent, and the reason it was written by industry was to show just how this is being used in the context of drug development. And right now it is being used, I think, in exploratory phases, retrospective. It's on the cusp, if not already being used in prospective validations, which is the next step. And then from there, uh, we may even start to see some uh, potential approvals where this is going to be used um, clinically. Uh, And so uh, I'm, I'm very optimistic that in, in sometime soon, uh, we'll begin Mm -hmm. to see the the benefits from this clinically. I don't know, Vipo, what you, what you think about that.
3: Yeah, I'll quickly add, I think the, the very optimistic and, uh, you know, what we have seen so far is, you know, at least the algorithm, uh, the AI algorithms are actually empowering some of these IRC technologies to get even better and better, uh, you know, more complex, more markers on the same slide. And both, I think, are go- playing off of each other, the, the staining technologies and the image analysis technology. So I think we'll continue to see the evolution of these technologies get better and better, more more uh, consistent, more stable um, uh, staining of these multiplex markers. And and I think what the other thing that we'll see is we're we're going to get a point where imaging will just become a standard. Um, you know what we've seen at least up to uh, uh, up until now is you know digitizing slides was a, always an afterthought. And I think what we're trying getting towards is now just more standard and good quality. Um, imaging so that we, we can use, uh, we can train our models moving forward with better quality data than what we have from maybe five years ago or 10 years ago that we're yeah. using yeah.
2: And just, and, and just to put a, a, a finer point to on where we are today, I, maybe many listeners may not know this, but there is a, a test available through now Castle Biosciences, but it was pioneered through Serenostics, which is a digital-based multiplexing test, which predicts risk from uh, Barrett's esophagus to esophage- risk of developing esophageal cancer from Barrett's esophagus, which is a large unmet uh, medical need. And it's available now by send out in a reference laboratory setting. Uh, it's not making as much press as maybe foundation did in, in the, the days of um, TMB, but it's there today and it's starting to, they're starting to seek reimbursement. Um, they're starting to see adoption in GI, in GI clinics as a result of it. So it's, it's that close to us today already. Um, and I could see more of this starting to evolve uh, over time.
1: Well, I'm glad you mentioned reimbursement because that's going to be a, an extremely important piece uh, that we we'll yeah. struggled with for the longest time, uh, especially with NGS, and and it's been uh, it's been delaying the progress and deployment in a lot of places. Uh, so hopefully. We learned some lessons uh, there and uh, make the value propositions to third party payers that, that this is uh, investment upfront uh, that will pay off for outcome and savings on wrong therapies and wrong okay. patient selection. Well, uh, we I think we need to do another uh, podcast <laughs> on this. Uh, this is uh, and uh, you guys have been terrific hosts, uh, terrific guests, and uh, I, I really uh, enjoyed it. And uh, I'm sure our audience uh, will, too. Thank you very much.